0: Dorothy Kim, and I will be reading today from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, and chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, good morning, Christ Central. We're so glad that you could join us for this Sunday worship, and what an appropriate text that we read this morning as we dream about what it means to be in a place of God. Um, My name is Josh Kim, I'm one of the assistant pastors here. If you're visiting with with us for the first time, please do join us by a welcome table in in the outside in the foyer. We'd love to share more about what God is doing at this church with you, so we're glad that you could join. Please do stop by. Um, as you head out as well. Uh, this morning, well, we're really glad to have our uh, Pastor Brown and his family back. Um, they're joining us for our worship today, and we're really glad, not only because they're back, okay, yeah, you can give them a round of applause, yeah. Yeah. they didn't know I was going to do that, but uh, not only because I'm glad that they're, they're back, but I'm just glad that they were able to rest well, and uh, I, I'm really glad to be part of a church that really wants to take care of our pastor well, Amen. Amen. And I know we all miss them, and I miss them a lot, too. I'm, I'm glad that he'll be in the pulpit next week. Um, so we're glad that he'll be preaching next week. So we're glad to have him back. But that also means that our summer series is finally coming to an end. For the past six weeks, we looked at what it means to, for us as a church of Christ to be the body of Christ, what it means to be a community, and looked at the various aspects of uh, community this summer. And not only are we going to talk about community Uh, In the upcoming season of fall, we're going to talk about what it means for you to be engaged with our community, not only within our own church, talking about joining our community group or joining a men's and women's uh, ministry, but also what it means to engage our community at large at 28205, but also, like today, we're going to talk about what it means to engage as a community in the global mission that God has called us to go to. Because as Brittany shared with us, our goal is to be a disciple of Christ and to make disciples of Christ. And that means not only for us to gather on Sunday, but to go, so I really wanna once again encourage you to come and join us as you dream together what it means for Christ Central to do that. Um, The survey says nearly in six in 10 Americans, 57%, participate in some kind of community group or organization. Do you know that 57% of all Americans participate in some kind of group or organization? including about 1 in 10, about 11%, who say they participate in four or more community groups. Four or more. I know some of us have a hard time joining one. Right? There's 10% of you, says four or more, and that's according to Pew Research Center. Among community groups that they're part of, not everybody is part of a church group, only about 19% participate in church groups or other religious things. Another 19% of you, or the people at large, participate in a community uh, based on a hobby group or a club, as I like to joke around quite often saying, YMCA, right? Or or 18% of us really like to be part of a community around charitable or volunteer organization. Uh, 16% based on professional association 15% on community and neighborhood groups, and even 9% based on a parent group, and on and on and on. Not just that that in our survey shows us, but our survey in our church that we have done also shows community as one of the key factors why we come to this church, as well as why we stay at the church as well. We all long for community, and we've been talking about this for the past six weeks what it means to be part of a community, and we want to be part of that. That's why six weeks was great, but we talked about what it means for you to belong to one, what it means to be a good store of one, what it means to be forgiven in one, what it means to find your friends, allies in one, and what it means for us to build the church of Christ in one as well. But the question is, as we think about joining a community, and I listed of different ways that people are joining different community, is why church community? All right? Only if 18% of us are choosing church as their form of community, why in our church do we emphasize church as a means of community? Why do you have to belong to church to find the community? In fact, many of us would like to say, I actually find people that are more like-minded if I'm out there following a cause. Because then I'll be surrounded by people that are like me. Some of us in a life stage of parenting, yes, we find our community around people that raise our children in the same style or same school or even same age group. And we find community in that aspect. Um, Some of us who love video games, I know there are a lot there. I know there's recently there's a Fortnite competition that, can you believe like 19-year-old won $3 million by winning that? I realize that's my future, right? I forgot to go into that field. But even in that, you could find online community now where people find themselves to be in one because they have shared common interests. The question that we want to conclude with as we think about joining this church community is, why church community? Why should you invest your time, energy, and effort Why should you be a good steward of your time, treasure, and talent in a church community where it is hard, where you're surrounded by people that are not like you, where you're surrounded by people that might challenge your assumptions about things, where sometimes it's not convenient for you, and why quite often it is going to leave you disappointed. But why are we out to hold on to church community like Christ Central. As we think about that, I want to invite you to turn to Revelation 7 and 15. Just as Sister Dorothy read for us, why God has church as means of community, heavenly community for us today. The first thing we see from this text, from Revelation 7, is that heavenly community is a place where Christ is worshiped. The reason why we ought to belong to this community is because as we look into Revelation chapter 7 and 15, the heavenly community, your end destination, our goal as followers of Christ, the heavenly community we ought to picture one day is a place where Christ is worshiped. I, I, I wrestled with this illustration, but I was recently encouraged to give this illustration. Uh, in Korean tradition, we have this dish that my wife and I really love And it's called a bibimbap. And you're like, what is that? If you have never tried it, I know, you need to explore yourself a little bit more beyond your board, right? Bibimbap basically means, in its English, it means mixed rice, right? But making this unique dish is in that every ingredient that gets placed into this has its role. And by having all different kinds of ingredients into one, that's why it's not called a particular dish. It's called mixed rice. Rice various kinds of vegetables, eggs, and the sauce. And what makes this food come alive and a staple in a Korean restaurant, and also for many of us who love this dish, is the fact that when you eat of this dish, kind of like chipotle, yafo, whatever it may be, it's really popular these days, it's the fact that you get to taste every single ingredient that come alive in this dish. And as someone would say, it's heavenly when you try this. And perhaps that is the closest picture that I get, right? Not just because I'm hungry. When I read this text in Revelation chapter 7, when all people are gathered. And that's what we see is a God's ultimate vision, a destination, what God wants Church of Christ to be, church of all peoples, the heavenly community. And that's what we read. Revelation 7:9 says, And this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, From every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right off the bat, we see it's a great crowd of great multitude, great crowd of witnesses. God will bring many into his family, and that's the promise of the Lord. Not because we're gonna be great at doing this, but God promised this will happen. The great multitude here alludes to the promise of Genesis where God promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way throughout the Old Testament history, the promise of God's descendants, Abraham's descendants, will number a great multitude. And the promise is God is going to do it. And this is a picture of a spiritual Israelites, the church of Christ that have gathered together at the end of the time and worshiping our Savior. And in this great crowd that we read, there are every nation, tribe, and tongue. And God, says, God is fulfilling the promise, the reversal of curses happening. We see that due to sin, the scattering of the, the people, scattering of the language happened in Genesis chapter 11. But the very next chapter, God comes to Abraham and promises that through him, many ethnos, many nations will be blessed And we see a completion of this great commission of Matthew 28, going to all nations to make disciples of all people, sitting at the feet of Christ, happening in Revelation chapter 7. Church, do you believe this? Do you believe this is your goal and this is your mission that God is going to accomplish through us? This is a promise of the scripture. And what is this great multitude gathering and doing? Are they high-fiving and saying, you made it. All right, good job. Well, you are... I did not think you'll make it. (laughs) Like, wow, praise the Lord, you made it. Like, me? Oh, yeah, I made it too, right? Are we doing that? No, of course not. Guess what they're doing. In verse 10, I'm sure they're doing that too, right? Um, And crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, and four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Simple as that. They gathered for a purpose. They come together for a purpose, and what they're doing is worshiping their Savior. Crying out with a loud voice, often crying out is used for praise, most often in prayer, in Scripture. It seems more of testifying in our sense, seems like what we do in our praise time, testifying to the glory of our God, and we see the angels Leading the congregation in response to the great testimony, we say salvation belongs to our God. Amen. And that's what we see. What a beautiful picture of worship that we ought, to, we ought to look for in the future. And notice this. They do this together as the body of Christ. All who have gathered, angels leading the purpose to worship the Lord. The picture of heavenly community as we see in Revelation 7 is a place where our Christ, our Savior, is worshipped. Church, dream with me for a second. Don't, don't close your eyes. Right? You're going to fall asleep. Don't do that. But dream with me. Imagine with me for a second. As you worship this morning, what you do today is not just a merely ordinary Sunday worship. Do you know that? You stand on the shoulders of those that went before you, and you also bridge to the next generation, to the next people that are coming, worshiping the Lord. During our summer camp study in Hebrews, we looked at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the list of people from the Old Testament of faith that have gone before us. And Hebrews chapter 12, the author concludes by, because we're surrounded by such great cloud of witness, let us persevere. And that's the message of the book of Hebrews. And here today, as we gather to worship the Lord, that's the call that comes from our God as well. Because you're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses that have gone before you, that are present today, that will go in your future, persevere, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, salvation belongs to our God. On this day, church, in this city, in this nation, in the world, all over the place, people are gathering. Whether they're in underground churches in China, Livia, persecuted, open, everyone in different tongue, different background, different culture, but they worship the Lord. And this is what it means to come and to belong to the community of Christ. The reason why we gather, is not because we are coming for preferences. It's not because this church provides programs for my child to be taken care of for two hours so I could have adult interaction. Without interruption. This is not a place where you find your BFFs forever. That's not why we gather this place. The reason why we gather in this place as we worship the Lord is because instead, we worship our Savior. But the worship does not merely mean singing, listening to sermon, and fellowshiping. By worship, by definition, it also means surrendering, recognizing, giving. Forgiving and forgiven, grace, mercy, discipline, all of our lives giving worth to our worthy God and praising the Lord saying, all my life belongs to you. And that's what it means to gather on Sunday. To worship the Lord does not merely end with singing and leaving at 12 o'clock. It starts here by surrendering our life and saying, I'm going to be a witness for Christ. I think we often get bogged down looking at our four walls. And all the problems that we have. And we wonder, what is this all about? But when we look to the scripture, when we lift our eyes, look to our final destination, the purpose and the hope that we could hold on to in this church community is the fact that He's got us. And He's going to accomplish the purpose. That means it matters, church, that you are here. It matters that you persevere under trials. It matters that you live this life for Christ. It matters not only for yourself, for the generation that is to come after you, and for the people that surround you today. It matters that we wrestle, we struggle, we strive to live for Christ together. And what is at the center of heavenly community? What separates a church of Christ from any other community out there? What ought to separate christ central church is that worship. We ought to be a place of worship where we come as a disciple of Christ. Second picture we see is not only the heavenly community is a place where Christ is worshiped. Heavenly community, as we look at Revelation 15, is where Christ dwells with God's people. Heavenly community is a place where Christ dwells with God's people. Someone recently told me that I've been at this church for now three months now, and I'm getting to know many of you, and I think more than me now, I think you want to get to know my my family, and I I get that, right? Because most often when I shake your hand, you look at my child more than me. I'm not offended by that, you know, but one of the things that my child is known for, and I want to introduce him a little bit more, is he likes doing the same thing over and over and over again. So when we first visited our Christ Central Church, he loved sitting next to Mr. Jason because he loved him still loves him, right? Now he loves looking at the light, so we sit way up in the front. Not by my choice, but by his choice, right? Uh, I like it, you guys should try it, right? Try it. Uh, But maybe, one of the things that we like to do to make sure our child, who is very routine-oriented, is doing the same thing no matter where we go. So what we try to do every night, no matter where we are, at the vacation, parent's home, friend's home, our room, his room, whatever it may be, what we realize is we got to create this routine, as many child do. And one thing we try to do is we pray for the same thing every night. And his prayer is very simple. Thank God for mommy, daddy, grandpa, grandma, Chicago grandma, Chicago grandpa. And if you met him today, you'll be in his prayer tonight, right? Whoever we met that day and a fish named Chase, right? I know, faithfully prays for that fish. Um, And no matter where we are, in that moment, the reason why we do that, in that moment, we are together, and in that moment, we dwell together as a family, no matter where we go. The picture we see in Revelation chapter 15 is a Christ-dwelling community. And that's what we read, didn't we? Verse 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And we could just breeze through this and say, wow, this is awesome. That's what heaven is going to be. I get that. But this theme of dwelling place of God, another word to say tabernacle, as we'll see, is a significant theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. The Old Dwelling in its original language can literally mean to tabernacle to live together, to be in the presence of. And following this line of thinking of dwelling place, we could trace what it means to walk with the Lord as well as to live with the Lord. And the first place where this dwelling place, tabernacle, comes about is in Genesis chapter one, when God creates the world. And the Eden, according to Genesis chapter one, is a picture of a temple, a dwelling place of God and we see that God walks with Adam in this place. And the for mandate for Adam was to expand the physical borders of Eden, meaning as Adam began to rule over and subdue the earth, he was to be the representative of God. He was to extend the presence of God, which was limited to Eden, and to the whole earth. That was his mission or mandate, to increase and multiply, expand the borders of Eden. God's presence was to field the entire earth. But we know that Adam fails. That's why he gets kicked out of this dwelling place of God. Why? Because of sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And the subsequent patriarchs, including Noah, Abraham, are given the same mandate to expand the dwelling places to reestablish God's temple. And when we look at the Old Testament, patriarchs, as they moved from one place to another, they built these miniature shrines, sanctuaries, where they worshiped God. The result of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob building the altar at Shechem between Bethel and I at Hebron and near Moriah was that the terrains of Israel's future land was being marked out by the shrines. And this building of temporary shrines are like planting a flag and claiming the land for God in a place where Israel's future temple will be, where God would take up his permanent residence and dwell with his people and this tabernacling of God is continued as Israel builds the tabernacle of God in the wilderness of Exodus and we read from Exodus when, God, when, um, when they built that God's presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies and contrary to what the ancient Israelites wanted but often this temple of God was not a permanent place right? You could say that it's not big enough to contain God's presence. And because of Adam's failure and subsequent Adam-like figure's failures, patriarchs, kings, and Israel, everybody fails. And the failure will continue on And a dwelling place of God with men are temporary at its best in the Old Testament. And you know when you hear this dwelling presence of God again in the New Testament? It comes in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and Word was God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Christ, the last Adam, we find this true tabernacle, true dwelling place of God, the true temple of God. And that's why Christ brings his presence to us. That's why he's able to say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And when we get to Revelation 21, the picture of the heavenly community where where we are longing for, the new Jerusalem, the new city, new heaven, we once again encounter this word, tabernacle, dwelling place. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with men And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And for the rest of Revelation 21-22, John describes the city in the form of a temple. Why? Because heaven is a place where God dwells with his people. A lot of us want heaven to be a place of eternal vacation, wanting to do nothing and enjoy our eternal life as doing Floating in the clouds. But as we see from the scripture, heaven is a place where God dwells, where we worship the Lord. And heaven itself is a temple, the eternal dwelling place of God. And that's what you and I as Christ followers long for. Ultimate desire is to be with the Lord in our ultimate destination of true heaven, to worship the Lord and dwell with God forever. And that's what it means for us as a church to picture that. So what does that have to do with the church today? this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And here Paul's writing to this broken church in Corinth and despite of its brokenness and heartaches, What Paul is reminding them is, hey, you are the temple of Christ. You are the place where God's presence dwells because Christ died for that. By Christ coming on earth as dwelling with men, those who place their faith in Christ is now a place where the Spirit of the Lord dwells. That's why two or three are gathered in his name. His presence is there. That's why church is important. Church is a way God is going to dwell and testify to the world that he does dwell with his people. And this is why God sent Christ, and this is why Christ prays in John 13, 35, by this all men will know. Do you want to hear the missional verse in the scripture? This is it. By this all men will know that you are my disciple if you love one another in the body of Christ. Why? Because they will see it is impossible for you to love one another without the love of Christ. How can this community be a community apart from Christ? If they see that, what testimony will bring? And that's why we're called to this community church. That's why it's worth it for you to wrestle with this. That's why it is absolutely worth it for you to give everything that you have for this community. Not because we're perfect. We looked at that, right? Not because we're so well-run organization. Not because we have pride in this church or this building, but because this is a place where Christ called us to be. To love, to cherish, to struggle, to belong, to be vulnerable, to be hospitable, to forgive and to be forgiven, and to call to allyship, and to be faithful stewards of this community, because through this community, through this church, through the body of Christ, we can testify that Christ is our Lord. Church, will you join me? Will you join with the rest of the saints in wrestling and loving the body of Christ? That is the heavenly community that we see. The final picture that we see is not only a heavenly community is a place where Christ is worshipped, not only a place where Christ dwells with his people, but the heavenly community is also where Christ died and rose again. Heavenly community is a place where Christ died and rose again. And in order to see this, we quickly turn to Revelation chapter 1. As to see why and to whom this letter was written. You would have to turn down, I'll read it for us real quick. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm blessed, right? And blessed are those who hear you are and who keeps what is written in it. Let's strive to keep it, for the time is near. And look at what it says in Revelation 1-4. John is author to the seven churches that are in Asia. And later on it says, to him who loves us have freed us from our sin by his blood. Did you catch that, Church? The book of Revelation, not only the book of Revelation, one of the biggest things that blew my mind when I went to seminary for the first time, when our professor said, Bible is not written for you. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I grew up thinking this is my stuff, right? my faith, my life. And our professor said, no, it's not for you. Like, what do you mean? That means I don't own this? No, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that the scripture is written for the community of God's people. And here, notice what it says. John is writing this to the church to the seven churches, they are to hear the word, not only to hear them, but to obey them. It's explicitly commended. It's not for you to come and check off saying, "Oh, that was a great sermon, Pastor. I love it. I'll see you next week. I'm going to live my life the way I am. Notice what it says. Blessed are you if you not only listen, but to live in the light of the truth that you have been heard, you have been spoken to, in light of the heavenly community that is to come. Why? Because it is Christ that loves us and has freed us, as John writes us. To him who loves us and has freed us from my sins by the blood. They made us this kingdom, the priest to his God and the Father. And this is the promise he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that's the promise he gives us. And that's what we see happening in Revelation chapter seven and verse 21. And that's what we see John seeing in this. It is not only because church like ours exists today, or there are churches that exist, but as we saw, the God will do his work. God will establish his church. And notice the description that we glossed over real quickly in Revelation chapter 7. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, as they gather together to worship the Lord, guess what they're doing? They're standing. They're standing before the throne of God. And if you're a careful Bible reader, if you read throughout the Old Testament, every time someone is in the presence of the Lord, are they standing? Absolutely not. They're falling flat on their face saying, woe is me. I am unworthy to be in this presence of the Lord. But here in Revelation chapter 7, we see every tribe and nation and tongue standing before the Lord. How are they able to stand? Because Christ makes them able to stand, he sets them apart, he calls them out. Church literally means that, called out once. And what unites us here is that we're all clothed in white robes and palm branches. The white robes here is an allusion to the fact that they're cleansed by the purity of Christ. Those are the saints that are given this new white robe that symbolizes that Christ's righteousness was given to them, and the palm branches an allusion to Leviticus 2340 as an annual occasion that commemorates Israel's dwelling in tents under the divine protection out of Egypt. Here the palm branch imagery is used by Apostle John to show God's protection of God's people, the church, the called out ones who persevered through his protection. So if your palm branches are wearing a right robe, you have the right to stand, not because you are so perfect and righteous on your own account, Because the fact that you're wearing a white robe with the palm branches reminds you that you are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. You are standing because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto you. That's why they're able to stand. That's why they're able to worship the Lord. That's why God brings every single tribe, tongue, and nation in his place to worship the Lord. It is God who does this. How? Through Christ who died for this community to wipe away their sin. And he's not done, isn't he? It says, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21. And John keeps seeing this holy city, holy Jerusalem. He hears this loud cry of thrones saying, Behold, I'm going to do this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he says, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Basically saying, I'm going to do this. And that's what he promised to us today. He didn't merely die so that you can enter the heaven freely today. As if to say, Free ticket for eternal life to enjoy my life forever the way I want to live it. Free ticket in order for me to do and find things that I want to do or have preferences for my life the way I want to live it. We often get so bogged down in this consumer mindset of going to different places, looking for things that fit my schedule, my time, and my priorities. But what the scripture reminds us is that he didn't die for that. If you're following that kind of religion, perhaps you're in the wrong place. What the scripture reminds us is that he died for us so that you can live eternally in worship, in a place where God is manifested to the world and testified to. And we are defined as a church not by what we eat, what we sing, what we do, or whatever it may be, but we are a church that's defined by the righteousness of Christ given to us because he died for us. And we can persevere until the end because he keeps us safe. In the words of Hebrew writers, what unites us is the author of our faith and also the perfecter of our faith, Christ himself. If that is not good enough for you to belong to a local church, then what more do you need? If that is not good enough for you, perhaps you're following an idol because Christ dying and rising in for this church and this community is the absolute reason why we have to surrender all of ourselves to follow and to commit to wrestle to long for the heaven to come and the heavenly community we long to picture. Church, after today's worship, I, I could prophesy one thing that will be true. And you could hold me accountable. We're all going to eat lunch. Right, some of you may be like, no, I'm not. I got you, right? No, but most of us will eat lunch. And I know some of us are starting to imagine that, especially many of you who missed breakfast. I know, right? I'm, I'm coming to an end. Just bear with me for a little bit more. Come to the missions luncheon, and you'll have lunch there. Um, but do you know that in order for you to eat, you, have to, you, have to, you, you eat because you want to live, right? Because if you don't eat, you die. So you eat so you can live. We all know that. But do you know that in order for you to eat, for you to live, you know something has to die? If you're a meat lover here, and we talked about grill love, you know an animal has to die in order for you to eat that meat? You do. It has to be grilled in the right manner for some of you, yes. But an animal has to die, right, in order for you to get that protein in your body. Some of you might say, but I'm not a meat lover. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. But you know, you also know that vegeta- uh, vegetables have to die. It's not like um, they live forever in your body, right? You chew on the lettuce and lettuce dies. It decomposes in your body, right? It oxidates. Whatever it may be, it dies. So that it will give you energy and whatever it may be for you to live. Something has to die in order for you to live. There's nothing in this world that will give you life apart from death. And the Bible reminds us the greatest death so that one can live happens through Christ. And this is the gospel truth. The Son of God died the death we ought to die and rose again. So he promises us this is eternal life. And the work of discipling, preaching, entrusting the gospel... Reaching the nations, building one another up, is entrusted to the church of Christ. As Christ is the husband who dies for his bride, church as the bride, because Christ died for church, now gets to, in response to, now you are able to, you are empowered to, to live for Christ. This is what John writes to him and to the church. He writes this, and to him, to God, who loves us and has freed us for our sins by his blood. Will you be part of God's call? Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye is worse to him. God is the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was, And who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Let's pray. As you close your eyes, can I challenge us before I close in prayer for the next 10 seconds or so? As you close your eyes, can you make some kind of commitment to the Lord in response to who who Christ is? As he has died for our sins and rose again, he calls you now to be a part of a local body of believers, not for your sake only. Yes, but also for the sake of testifying to his truth. Let's make some commitments to the Lord and I'll pray. Father, that's our prayer, Lord. Thank you that, Lord, as we look into the scripture, that you promise us victory in Christ. Not by what we have done, not by what we look like on the outside not by what we bring to you on this Sunday, not even by what kind of church we belong to, what kind of cause that we're passionate about, not by any of those things, but only because Christ, you have died for us and you rose again and you simply loved us. So as you come to this place, as we talked about community for this past several weeks, we want to belong to this. We want to be part of this, not because, not only because of, who we were called to be to hear. But through this community, we want to learn what it means to love God a little bit more. And we want to learn what it means to testify about this God's love to the watching world a little bit more. So use this church, Lord. Use this people, Lord, for the sake of your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.